right. Give your Bibles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 again, please. Ephesians chapter 4. I think we'll read 17, but we'll go 17 to 19. Then a few other passages will be flowing around. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, I stand before you and confess to you again, and even as I was singing to you, there's just some junk going on in my mind, and, and I confess it, and I thank you that I have the freedom to do that. We all do. God, I hate pride. I hate it. I hate it, and I know you do, and I thank you that there's forgiveness in you. But I do pray that tonight we would be confronted with the topic of sin, whether we know you or not, that you would do a great work. God, it hit me as I was standing here kind of watching everyone in the room as they're watching that video, the weight, the weight of the words here that I have to speak. God, I can't do this, and I can't do justice to your word. And so would you please say something that impacts all of us? Whether we have people here who don't believe in you, hate you, don't like you in the moment, have committed at some point but wandered or love you like crazy or anything in between, God, please draw us on one step closer into, into, into intimacy with you, whatever that looks like. God, so do your work. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Anyone who agrees says amen. amen. Start in verse 17. So Paul, remember, he's writing to a bunch of Christians in Ephesus, and he says this. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And when he's mentioning Gentiles, he says, okay, those without Christ. It's not, always, it's not always the meaning of the word Gentile, but here he's connecting it to that. And then he goes on, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Guys, I, I preached this same passage a few weeks ago at a different camp, and I don't know that I even noticed that part, alienated from the life of God. The life of God. Do you realize that God actually has this life in mind for you? We actually, for some reason, we've, we have a culture that thinks that he's the ultimate killjoy, all the while forgetting that he's the one who actually created the concept of joy. It's like, oh, he has no fun. I mean, if you go with God, you don't get to laugh. And I'm like, he's the one who created laughter. Like I use this off, I use this example often. You ever just been around someone who has like the greatest laugh? Like once they start to laugh, you feel like angels are gonna descend. Like, oh, heaven's great, but this is where it's at. This and they just like, you ever watch like one of the YouTube videos where babies just lose it over looking at a cup? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do it because I sound like a demon. But it's like, you ever watch that? And then you notice how evil we are because you ever read the comments and people just trash the baby? Oh, it's a cute laugh, but he's ugly. It's like, what? This is how evil we are. It's like, we're not that bad. We are evil. So there's that person that's just the most amazing laugh. And 
And then there's that person that doesn't. Like once they start to laugh, the demons come out. Because it's like, did you call? Is this one of ours? Like, what was that? They just like, go up. You're like, what the heck was that? Your ears are bleeding. We all have these different laughs, right? It's not like we all have the same one. It's not like, hey, okay, so on the count of three, I want us to all laugh the same, and this is how you're going to laugh. On the count of three, you're going to go, ha, 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 and then go silent. Now, I'm going to warn you, there's always one. It goes, ha, 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 and then they go, eh. okay, there's always one. You little rebel, knock it off. Okay, so on the count of three, we're going to go, ha, 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 ready, and then go quiet. Let's see if we can do it. First time ever, and however many years I've been preaching and using this example, it's never happened, but I believe, I believe in you. I believe in you. Okay, ready? On the count of three, one, two, three. There it is. Okay, good. So you're no better. Okay. Can you imagine if that's how we always laughed? Have you ever laughed so hard that you felt like your stomach's just going to explode onto somebody? It's like you're getting an ab workout the whole time. And if, I'm, ladies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you. If you have ever said this in mixed company, if there's a bunch of guys there and, and you guys are laughing about something and it's super hard and you're like, okay, if you don't stop, I'm going to pee my pants. Here's the thing. If you ever say that, every guy in that group is going like this. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Gentlemen, if I'm right, say amen. amen. That's what I'm talking about. Ladies, you've been warned. If you wet yourself in front of your friends, that's on you now, okay? So just don't say the phrase. Guys, isn't it fun to laugh? Like just to start losing it with your friends and just laugh and we actually think that we're the ones that created it. Like God's up in heaven, okay, get over it. Get over it, you little brats. Guys, he created that. He created joy and laughter and humor and fun, the concept of fun. God is the one who created all of that. And so for those, honestly, you're sitting there going, yeah, but it's not like the real fun. What's the real fun? It all connects back to fun. God created, we think that God's just out to get us and he's not. He's actually out to what? Protect us and care for us and bless us. I use this example all the time also. When, when my, my, first, uh, my first boy, I've got two, I've got two little, or not little, they're all grown up now. I've got an 18 year old and a 16 year old now. But when Tyler, he's my, uh, he's my 18 year old, he's my, he's my six, six, Redheaded child. I mean, he is a massive bean. Don't worry, I can still take him. But he's a big boy, okay? But I remember when he's a little guy and he starts moving. Like before he starts to move, they don't really do much. I mean, they keep you up at night, but they don't really go anywhere. And then they roll over and you're like, get the camera. <laughs> Guys, when I roll over, they, no one does that. It's like, oh my gosh, he rolled over. Get the camera. No one cares. Once he starts to pull himself up, I'll oh, take the camera. But when he started to crawl, you just kind of see him go, I've never been rested since then. I'm exhausted. But he just would crawl, and we just had a conviction. My wife and I, we're not going to baby-proof the house. It's like, welcome to our home. You're going to learn the rules, and we're going to get going. And so the first time he went and saw that thing that's on the wall, the outlet, he, just, he didn't die. I just told you he's alive. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Thank you for the concern, but he's okay. So we had this rule. Hey, don't. Don't touch it. And isn't it weird that when you're little, you're like, yeah, I remember he gets up and he's just going, I'm like, where are you going? I'm sitting in my chair. Where are you going? He just kind of crawls over and he looks at it. And before that, I thought he was sinless. I said, hey, Tyler. Nope, don't do it. And he looks back at me with this look. And it was like this look like he was saying, 
I respectfully disagree. <laughs> and I looked at him and went, sinner. And he seriously goes, huh? And he goes right back to the wall and starts to reach for it. So I pop out of the chair, whack, smack his hand. He's like, what the? I said, that was Jesus. I didn't say that. I'm just <laughs> <coughs> so I look at him. I said, hey, dad says, no, don't do it. And now he's a little bit more determined. He's like, mm. I think even a little grunt. Mm. I'm like, oh, it's like, you're like facing up on dad. Like, what are you going to do? Like, gnaw my toe? Like, what's that? Like, there's nothing here. So he turns him around. He starts to reach out again. Whack, smack it again. He's like, Ugh. He kept doing it. I'm like, are you not catching the hint here, buddy? The head's going to keep getting redder, and it's going to hurt more. And he's like, uh, uh. And all of a sudden, he stops. He just sits there, uh, legs out on his diaper, but bam. <laughs> Guys, why do you think I did that? You're like, you're just taking the joy. No, I'm not. I want him to live. <laughs> Some of you are like, he's got to learn. If that's your mentality, don't have children. <laughs> it's like, hey, Ty, you got to learn. Hey, here's a butter knife. Stick it in there. Then just hang on. Just go for it. Because the reason we set that rule up was not to kill his joy, but to put boundaries on it because we want him to experience life. Guys, when God... <laughs> <coughs> Don't procreate. Okay, so <laughs> we want him to enjoy life. And for some of you, you have it in your head. Hey, God has set up these rules and these standards and these commandments to keep me from enjoying life. Friends, we don't know what life is without God defining what it's supposed to be. And some of you guys have settled. You've settled. It's like a one-year-old birthday party. Guys, the birthday party is honestly for the parents. Because the one-year-old has no clue what's going on. They've got a new outfit. Everyone shows up. The paparazzi shows up with all their cameras. And then it's time for lunch, and you're eating in normal clothes, and it's time for the cake. Never had cake before, and all of a sudden, you go from fully clothed to half-naked in a diaper. And you're just sitting there, and everyone's got cameras out, and you're like, what's going on? And then they just put it down like a bomb. There it is. And, you just sit, and then the little guy's just sitting there, looking around. Like, what do you do with it? No one says anything. <laughs> so he, he puts his finger in it, and everyone starts videotaping. Mom's over here crying. It's like, it's just icing. And they taste it. <laughs> Eyes are open <laughs> to everything that is good. And then just kind of puts his hand in, just starts going for it, gets all over. Everyone's just going, this is so cute, but it's... If you do that, it's not cute anymore, is it? Then all of a sudden, gifts come out. When the gifts come out, the kid plays with the box more than the toy. It's like you get the box open, here's the toy. It's like, uh, and then it just starts playing with the paper. Guys, if I put, the can, if I put a can of soup or a $100 bill in front of a baby, what's he going to go for? Can of soup, 100 times. Why? <laughs> no, that's what you would go for, but that's, guys, because this is paper. They don't get the value of this, but this, you can pound it. You can throw it at mom. She'll scream. It's like, you can have some fun with this, but $100, I'd push a baby out of the way for $100. Guys, I understand the value of this, 
And yet some of you have settled. You look at life and what you think it has to offer, and it's shiny, and it's new, and it makes noise, and you take it and go, this is what life is. And God's sitting there going, if you only knew the value of life, when I'm the one who gives it to you, because when we don't have a surrendered life to Jesus, and we're not in right relationship with God, it's not life, we're just existing. Guys, when you look at that, it's like alienated from the life of God. That's a big statement. To be separated from what God declares as being life. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Guys, that word hardness, it's, 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 it kind of points us to the idea of callous. So has anyone ever broken a bone? And then they set it in place, and once it heals, did you know that part where, it's kinda, where it kind of mends together? That part is actually harder than the bone. And so that's what that word is. It's like this hardness. It's not just, it's kind of hard. I mean, it is, it's so stinking hard that nothing penetrates it. And so here comes God going, hey, this life, you've been alienated from it because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves, some, I'm sorry, given themselves up to sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Guys, that word, that, that word sensuality, it's this idea of, it's, it's not just, it's shamelessness. It's like, I'm going to take sin and go as extreme as I can and make sure everyone can watch it. It's not trying to hide it in the dark, keep it to myself. It's almost like I could care less what anyone else thinks about me. I do what I want. And isn't it weird how we have this culture now and we have all these things now and all these tools that can be used where you can now videotape anything you want, post it for the world to see. And the more shocking stuff that goes on there are the more views that come. Good thing we don't find our identity in social media. Or do we? Friends, I remember. I remember I used to have it. I used to have, I never studied, I never understood Twitter. And Instagram, I hear it's kind of not the same, but I remember when it was kind of in and I had it, and I'd be one of those pastors. And I would take the picture wherever I'm speaking, take it from the back, and get, get the right angle where the hands are up. And it looks like there's, I don't know, 7,000 people and there's like 17. And I would say, oh, blessed to be here. Hashtag blessed to be here. And all of a sudden you see people making comments. Oh, God's using you. God's using. That's great. That's amazing. Double tap. Double tap. Like, 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 like. 100 likes. Bam, bam. Oh, now I'm validated as a human. Look at what I'm doing because it's so important. All the while Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't make it so the world gets to see everything you're doing. Just do it in secret because your father who sees in secret will reward you. And we justify it. And I remember... I was spending time with the Lord in the Word, just my own personal time. And he said something like this. He was a little more crass, but I won't say that version. He said this, hey, stop using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. I ran into where my wife was and I said, this is what God just said. I just feel like God said this to me and I feel so convicted. And that's it. I just ran out of here, kind of like a puppy who can't keep his attention. Boom, and I take off and I, de I deleted it right then. And I got rid of Facebook. I got rid of Twitter, and I'm alive. Oh. I know. Who would have thought? 
My heart's still beating. I think my brain works better. It's like it's weird. Like you can still, well, how do you connect with people? It's a phone. You can call people. You can text people. And I know, I know guys, you sit there and go, but that's how we communicate. Does it have to be that? And are we really communicating honestly? Or are we comparing ourselves with the fake lives that we see on the screen? Are we doing ministry for the world to see all the while we're not actually doing it for Jesus, we're actually doing it for us? Guys, sin is so twisted, it can take what's good and turn it into something that's so evil. Guys, this shamelessness, guys, it's rampant. And yet it's not just today, it's always been that way. This, it's not like the Bible just applies to today, but not back then. He goes, you're alienated from this life of God. You've got this callous and hard heart. They have become, bless you, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. And it says greedy to practice. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Guys, that word greedy means this. To do whatever it takes, no matter who I hurt or who I take advantage of, no matter who I have to walk all over, I'm going to get what I want no matter what it costs somebody else. He says, this is what it's like. Guys, we're separate. We're separated from the world. Guys, I believe there's truth. I know that maybe, there's many people in this room, I know that there's many of you sitting there go, Brian, there's no such thing as absolute truth. The only problem is you just made an absolute truth statement. When you say there's no such thing as, that is an absolute truth statement, which means that you actually believe in absolute truth. So your first argument just died. You said, well, you know what I mean. But here's the thing, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, you can never get offended by anything. So I can live however I want. And if my doing whatever I want, because it's my truth, hurts you in the process, it doesn't matter because it's my truth. You say, well, that's not fair, but that's an absolute true statement. So you can't go there. Guys, you realize how you just don't believe in it. But we want to believe in it. Why? Because we want to be our own God. We don't like being told what to do. Guys, it's not that we're sinners because there's sin in the world there's sin in the world because we're sinners. Friends, we brought it. I did not become a sinner when I made a mistake. I didn't become a sinner when I sinned. Friends, I was conceived into sin. Sin has been passed down since Adam. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And outside of Christ, that's all that I can present to God. Guys, it all started, and take, if you want to take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Verse 1, chapter 3. says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast, the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say... Stop there for just a second. Do you realize that's exactly what the enemy says today? It's like he looks at our Bible and he goes, Did God really say... You're seriously going to say that this book that was written so long ago, did God actually say this? Are you kidding me? And the fear that I have, I fear that the majority of Christians in the States have no clue whether or not God actually said it. Guys, I believe that we are the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church ever since Jesus started it. And we have more resources Guys, we can read. He's like, I don't like to read. You can listen to it. I don't, I don't like to listen. 
I don't want to tell you then. We have all these resources, and yet we find that it's impossible to find the time to spend time opening the book and spending time with the Lord to open the book and hear God speak to us. But I don't have the time. Really? You don't have the time? You don't have the time? You don't have the time? Or you don't make the time? Guys, I thought, I remember getting so convicted. About seven years ago, I spoke at this Christian high school in Kentucky, and I was team teaching with a guy, and I had no clue. I mean, when, when I met him, I had no clue who he was, and then I started hearing his story and hearing that he, he played for Louisville football, and I was like, dang, seriously? He goes, I got, yeah, and I'm like, well, tell me more. Like, I'm, I'm excited to hear this. And he goes, uh, I, I got drafted. He's like, you got drafted? And I said, who drafted? He said, the Niners. I was like, the, like you were going to play? You, you were going to play? professional football. He said, yeah, then I tore my ACL and I was out. I was like, dang, and he just, I just love the Lord. And I, he was a young and old pastor in the area. And so I preached before him and he preaches afterwards. I'm like, man, this guy can preach. Why am I here? And then some students, uh, they said, hey, we want to take you out to dinner. We want to take you to chicken and waffles. <laughs> I was like, I'm in Kentucky and we're going to go to chicken and waffles. Yes, please. I was like, you know a spot? He's like, we know a great spot. I look at this. Are you going? He's no. I got, I got to drive about an hour and a half from here. I'm going to meet up, meet up with a college kid. I'm going to disciple him, and, and then I'm, I got to make it home. I was like, okay. So I see him the next morning. Next morning, he just looks like he's totally out of it. I'm like, dude, you all right? He goes, oh, I don't know. I got like four hours of sleep. I'm like, how long were you out? He goes, well, I did the discipleship thing. And then the kid says, hey, you want to go to a movie? So I went to a movie. I got home at like 1.30. But I had, and then he said this, but I had to get up at 5.30 to spend time with the Lord and the Word. And my first thought was, Skip it. But I couldn't say it because I'm a pastor. But in his head, he's like, but I had to spend time with the Lord. So I got up and spent time with the Lord. And man, I had such a good time. But he was so tired. Guys, it was during that time when I was listening to him. A lot of my ministry years, a lot of the time when I was a youth pastor, a young adult pastor, a pastor, spending time with Jesus was optional. It's when I wasn't needed. Like if I had some ministry, thank God, you understand, I'll go. And then I'll do it here and there. And I got so convicted by that. And now, oh, I'm so thankful, guys. Free sitting going, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. You want to make your youth pastor or youth volunteer just freak out? Walk up to them and say this. Hey, can you show me how to spend time with God in the Word? Guys, they're going to soil themselves right there. They're going to lose it. Can you show me what you do to spend time with the Lord? And then maybe for some youth, youth volunteers or youth pastors, it's like, man, I better figure that out. Like, I'm hoping that you have a normal time with the word, with, in the Word with God. But guys, when I started getting it, I was like, okay, so this isn't just memorize stuff so I can preach a message. This is so I can relate with the God of the universe. I can actually listen to what he says, and I can speak back, and he can convict me and encourage me. I get to spend time with him. And the enemy wants to come along and go, did God really say? You're really going to believe that? Do you really feel like it's true? Because this isn't amazing that in today's culture, feelings are God. Guys, feelings are fickle. They're helpful, but they're not foundational. He said, did God really say? He says, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, God never said don't touch it, but I think it's a good rule. Like, I don't want to die, so just leave it alone. You have the rest of the garden, if not the rest of the planet to play. He says, just leave that one thing alone. The serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Guys, you know what the enemy wants you to think? The enemy wants you to think this. God's holding out on you. You're not going to die. God knows that if you do this, this is what's going to actually happen. See, God's holding out on you. You should want this. Because if you do this, you will be like God. You're going to get to know good and evil. Now watch this. So when the woman, verse 8, is that right? No, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guys, she came up with three justifications as to why it was okay. But here's the thing. Guys, if you have your Bibles, go back to chapter 2, verse 9. Because the three justifications, listen to, what, listen to where it came from. Verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. There's two of them. And when she comes to her justification, it was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes. So far she's right on. I mean, God is just like, hey, I made this looking good and it's for food. It's good. It was that third one. It was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Guys, that word desired means to covet or to lust, to desire strongly for something that doesn't belong to you. And that's when she went too, that's when she went too far. And here's Adam standing with her. And I used to think, Adam, what are you doing? Not used to, it's like, why were you just standing there watching her have this conversation? It's like he's just sitting there going, ha, 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 talking stupid. That's cute. Like he didn't step in and say anything. And so those three justifications, all of a sudden she goes, I'm going to take a bite. You want something? Absolutely. She was deceived and he rebelled. And sin entered, friends. And God warned them. It goes on, verse, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That's awkward. Isn't that a weird realization? <laughs> like before that, you don't even know what naked is. It's running around with no clothes on. And then sin enters the world, and now there's laundry. <laughs> Adam and Eve. They've had a whole lot of people complaining since then. But then what do they do? It says they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. Like they just got some leaves. It's just so weird. Like you don't know. You take a bite and say, what the? Okay, get some leaves and we'll make stuff to cover. Think about leaves? That is the dumbest thing to pick. Because they dry out. Talk about major chafing. Like that is just not comfortable after a while. Like, it is uncomfortable. It's like, it's just got to cover up, just got to cover up. Whatever we can get to cover up. And that's what we do with our sin. 
In my sin, I have, I have a choice. And here you'll see when God starts to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, it says they ran from him. Guys, it was the first time they felt shame. They didn't know what it was before. And for some of you, you're living in that sin. And maybe you're like the Christians in, in Ephesus when Paul is writing. And he's saying, you shouldn't be the same. You should be different. You should be living differently. And for some of you, you might be living in this quiet sin. Nobody knows, but I'm not going to go to God because shame is too much. So you run from him, and then you try to find anything and everything around you to cover up, even though it's foolishness. So it's so easy for us to look at Adam and Eve and say, how could you do that? Friends, we are no different. We're no different. Guys, okay, sin into the world and everything changed. Everything. Sin. Death enters. Guys, you ever been to a funeral and you just sat there going, it's not supposed to be like this. You ever felt that? Guys, doing a funeral... Doing a, funeral, doing a funeral or memorial service or celebration of life, whatever you want to call it, for a person that loved Jesus, they're pretty beautiful. They're hard, but they're beautiful. Guys, do you realize that in the scriptures, I think it's Psalm 116, verse 15, the Bible says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Isn't that amazing to think? It's like, well, how could it be precious? Guys, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's like God's sitting there going, okay, you're done. You're finished. You don't have to do any more of this. You're going to come be with me. And God's sitting there going, finally, you're home. Precious in the eyes of the Lord of the death of his saints. January 27th, I stood before a community of people. As we celebrated the life of my mother-in-law, who battled for nine years with multiple myeloma, a horrible cancer, I mean, when I first met her 27 years ago, I mean, she was strong. She was jacked. She's like this Kansas country girl. In the last four months or so of her life, when we'd go anywhere, she was on a walker, and seriously, she couldn't raise her head. She was all hunched over, and she just kind of kept going. But man, she was a strong woman who loved Jesus. And watching my wife hurt through all of that, oh, it just breaks my heart. And then there's hope. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. And to know that she's in the presence of Jesus, happy, joy-filled, not a care or concern in the world. Friends, I've done funerals for people that love the Lord, and I've done funerals for people that didn't. And there's always a difference. Because you'll hear statements like this, well, I know they're in a different, I know they're in a better place. But it's not certain there's no certainty to it. It's hard. Everything broke here in Genesis 3. And when you go to a funeral and you're going, it's not supposed to be like this. It's because it's not. We know something's off. And we can sit there and go, Brian, I'm not that bad. I mean, I've got a good heart. Okay. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Let's just encourage each other with this part. You have a good heart. I know. I could sit there and go, I have a good heart. How would I know? Because my mama told me. Mama told me I have a great heart. Okay. 
Here it is. Ready? <laughs> this is the words of Jesus. And I always go with what I always go with, he's, what, with what he says. Why? Because he pulled off Easter. Guys, anyone who predicts that he's going to die and comes back from the dead and pulls it off, he's right. Here's what he says. He says, for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> you think that? It's like, I, wanted to, I just want to give you my heart. And you're like, why do you hate me? I just want to give you my heart. And Jesus is like, yeah, but your heart is full of evil thoughts and sexual morality and theft and murder and adultery. It's like we sit there and go, no, I'm a pretty good person. It's like, well, who are you comparing yourself with? He's like, well, I'm not Hitler. I'm so thankful you're not Hitler. But he's not the standard. It's like I'm better than him. I'm not, I'm not like the best person, but I'm not him. Friends, the standard is Jesus. And he's perfect, and he's holy. Guys, the Bible says this, that all of my good deeds, compared to the holiness of God, all of my good deeds are like filthy rags. I could have the most purely motivated thing that I do for someone else, and compared to God and his holiness and his perfection, it's like a dirty rag. It's not clean. I can't make myself right with him. I can't do enough good things to make myself right with them. I don't pray more so I can be more loved. I don't spend time in the Word so I can be more loved. I cannot do enough good things to make myself right with God. It is impossible. So sin didn't come because we messed up. It's like I did a couple hours. Like I know, I knew when I became a sinner because I did this one or two things, and now I'm a pretty good person. Guys, we're born into it. Guys, it's hopeless. I have a pretty good heart. Guys, outside of Jesus, we don't. We don't. One last passage, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm almost done. Y'all tracking? You good? Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 1. Ready? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Guys, isn't that a very encouraging verse? By nature, we are objects of God's wrath. God bless you. Guys, that doesn't make it on like a greeting card. I've never got a card from saying, I just want to encourage you with this object of wrath. Here you go. And we can look at that and go, gosh. And maybe for some, you said, I've never, I've never seen that verse. And I think it might be because we're so quick to settle for like microwave theology, or a verse of the day email Bible verse. And all those verses tell you how fantastic you are and how much God loves you, and he's so gracious and wonderful and forgiving. And then you get to these verses going, what? Object of God's wrath. Guys, you know why I think this is so encouraging? Because when I had nothing to offer God, 
Jesus came. And the Bible says that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Guys, the reason I need a savior, like what do we need a savior from? Sin? Yep. Death? Yep. But is that it? Nope. Paul says, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, that Jesus came to rescue us from the coming wrath. Guys, that's the wrath of God, that God came as Jesus to rescue us from himself. That God must punish sin. You say, that's not fair. Like, why can't he just let let it go by? Guys, think about it. You realize how many people in all of human history have been oppressed their whole lives. They've been taken advantage of by a person or a group of people. And what we're saying is, God, just sweep that under the rug. Is that loving? We all demand justice unless we deserve it. And then if we deserve it, we want mercy. While I was a sinner, while I was an enemy of the cross, Jesus came. I had nothing to offer him, nothing I could give him. Guys, you realize every other world religion on the planet, you, do, you need to do enough good things to make it to God. Christianity is the only one that says you can't. You cannot do enough good things ever, ever. And so what's God do? He comes for us. Guys, I get this is a heavy topic. I get it. I know it. But like I said already, guys, when we grasp the weight of our sin, the beauty of the gospel is magnified. It, is, it blows my mind that I had nothing to give to God. There's no goodness in me, and yet he came because he wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Verse 4, just the first couple words. So we just get done talking about the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The, ver- the first two words in verse 4. Do you see him? What is it? Somebody, somebody say it. But God. Here's who I am. This is what I deserve. Object of God's wrath. Dead in my sins. Can't save myself. Can't do enough good things to get to God. But God. I can't do it. But God. How often when we read the passages in scripture and it has that small little phrase, but God. That is God intervening. God stepping in to do the miraculous because we can't, so he does it. Why? Grace. Guys, I just want to beg you and plead with you. For those of you, you're not a follower of Jesus, he's like, ah, Brian, this, I don't believe you. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I just want you to think through it. And if you see me walking around, come up and tell me, how did all the junk start? Where did it all come from? How do you know you'll be okay when you stand before God? What if you don't believe in God? Okay, but here's the thing. If you're right and I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. But if I'm right, if I'm right, there's a God, and I have to stand before him one day, and you're wrong, you might be basing your eternity on the fact you just don't want to think about it. Really? Your whole life and whole eternity on the fact that you don't want to think about it. When what you can actually do is you can come in and be united to this life of God. Life of God, life with him. 
Friends, sin is heavy. I get it. Oh, but we have a great God. Guys, like I said, I know. I know it's a hard topic. When I saw it on the list, I was like, I love Hume. And we're not afraid to deal with it. And I made a commitment a long time to go to God. God, I'll teach whatever you want from your word. I just don't want it to be my opinion. I want it to be your truth. As hard as some of those things are. But friends, we have to think through it. Guys, I kind of look at the way our nation goes and where the world's going. Doesn't it seem like it's kind of unraveling? Doesn't it seem a little chaotic? Yet I'm convinced that every generation has thought that. But as you continue to take more of truth out, and everyone can kind of do what they want, it's really like this. Morality will then be de decided by whom? Whoever's in charge. And I sit there and go, no. Morality, righteous living, righteousness and right standards and truth is always declared to be true by the one who created it, by God. He is king of the universe. So for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus, as I bring this up, be honest in it. That's all I'm asking, just be honest in it. But for those that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're living in this it's not, here's a, there's a difference, friends. It's not, I'm struggling with sin. Guys, we'll always struggle with sin. We'll be tempted. Can I, okay, just be honest. By a show of hands, how many of you have been tempted in the last day? Oh, now look around. Now don't, don't not halfway Baptist, like get charismatic on this one. It's like, put it way up there. It's like, I'm tempted. And here's the thing, it's like, oh, but if I'm tempted, then I'm horrible. No, you, if you're tempted, you're human. Being tempted is not the sin. If, if being tempted is a sin, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, then he sinned. That's not the sin. It's what we do with it. So to, to, so to fight against temptations in order to live a life that is set apart for God, trusting that his way is best, his life is best. I want to honor you because I love you. There's a difference between that and just living in it. I'm just doing it. It's like your practice. I'm just going to keep going in it. Nobody knows. This is fun for a time. And some of you, maybe, maybe, and this isn't judgment, guys. I want to I see you come back to tight, intimate fellowship with the Creator and experience His life, but to live up to what it is that you call yourself a follower of Christ. Because, friends, it is so easy to drift. One last story, then I'll close. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, the kids, they wanted to do this, uh, this beach camp out. And I don't like camping. I know somebody said to go, I hate you. That's okay. I just don't like it. I'm kind of a bigger guy. I feel like if I have to, if I have to do this to get dressed, I don't understand the concept. It doesn't make any sense to my mind. Some of you guys love it. Wonderful. Keep enjoying it. And then you're going to the beach. And the thing is, like, somebody said to go, those are the best trips. Yeah, for you. But the youth leaders are the ones that have to make sure that you're being good. And we have this pressure, we have to bring you all back. Like, I can't just, oh, we lost one. Where'd they go? I don't know. Well, we did our best. We had 50, we're coming back with 49. That's an A. I can't be perfect all the time. Like, every parent expects their kids to make it back. So I remember we went, 
Next morning, they went, hey, Brian, we want to go swimming. I didn't sleep hardly at all that night. I was like, yeah, please go swimming. I need some time by myself. And so they go swimming. And I fell asleep, and then I woke up. And it was a long nap, and I seriously thought after I looked at my watch, I was like, I can't believe I'm alive. Because I seriously thought that they would have buried me alive. Like, I just thought something was going to come. And so I said, I should probably go find them. So I got up, I start going for a walk. And I'm walking along, and I'm looking around. I was like, I don't see where they're at. Where, where are they? And then all of a sudden, I see every lifeguard just flying. No joke. I, so I, I see this massive lifeguard boat just hitting, the, like jumping the waves. And it makes this hard left. Two or three lifeguards jump off the end. And I'm thinking, am I on Baywatch? <laughs> like, am I on TV? I'm looking around for cameras. It was like the perfect swan dives. I'm like, oh my God. I don't, I'm not even thinking of my students. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> they dive off. You see trucks with their signs. You see the lifeguards from the stands, they're running. And then they're all swimming this one direction. And I see these little heads bobbing. And I counted, and I'm like, oh my gosh. They were all my students. I know. So all of the lifeguards in the world are going after these kids of mine. And the kids are just out there just bobbing along, like having a grand old like, ah! And they're watching the lifeguards, they're like, this is amazing. And then there's this one, as they bring him back in, they, they swim him back in, and one dude, he's all chiseled with an Australian accent. All the girls are like, I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. It's like, he was nuts. Felt a little insecure in the moment, but I'm like, okay. And, 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 this, and he, says, he says something like this with the sweet accent. I'm not going to do it because it won't come out. Okay, well, I'll try. He goes, hey, you want a riptoid? I know, it's horrible. So, uh, he says, they were in a riptide. He's like, what's a riptide? He goes, it's kind of like the ocean's version of sucking people out to eat it. I said, what? He goes, they had no clue, and they would have never made it back. They would have died. And I look at them, and they're like, that's awesome. I'm like, you guys are idiots. And don't tell your parents Guys, they had no clue. They just started to drift. Little by little by little. They had no clue that the ocean was starting to swallow them. Just little by little. One small little thing here for some. One small little decision. One small decision over here. I'll just start to drift and drift. And all of a sudden I find myself interested in Jesus a little bit less. But at least he loves me. And it's so true. But I keep going less and less and less. And instead of all of a sudden, I'm not really facing Jesus. I've kind of turned my attention little by little. Small degrees at small degrees. And all of a sudden my back is to him. And I'm fully engaged. And Jesus is still standing here. And at some point you were supposed to repent. But man, this tastes good in the moment. Because I've settled for a can of soup. Rather than turning my attention back to Jesus. Who actually actually knows the value of life. And I think for some, maybe you've drifted. Or for some, you just flat out turned your back. And you've gone your own way. Why? Because when you prayed, Jesus didn't come through the way that you thought he should. And you were so mad. And you were saying so angry because they still died. And so it's easier to rebel and it is to face him and be honest and have, let our heart break and let him heal. Guys, sin, sin will destroy 
you. I know we think we know what we're doing with it. Friends, no one has ever beat it except Jesus. He died, took the wrath of God, and he never sinned. But sin has to be dealt with and has to be thought through. So I'm going to pray. I think Mikey's coming up to close us out. He'll explain what's next. But guys, seriously think through this. And this is for everyone in the room. Guys, I used to show up and think, oh, the preacher, that he's got his life put together. No, never struggles. He's perfect bat phone with Jesus. Guys, now that I'm one of those guys, during these times, I seriously sit and go, God, I don't like the pride that was in my heart. I don't like that I thought, oh, I, 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 I don't like thinking like this when I go somewhere to preach. Oh, man, I really hope they think I'm great when I'm done. You know what that's called? Pride. You know what I want you to hear? I want you to hear how amazing Jesus is. I do. I want him to be the one who's honored and glorified and for me never to get in the way. And I hate my sin. Guys, when I call you to do something, know that I'm myself. I'm doing it. Your youth pastors, youth workers, we're all going to, like, we're going to think through God. Is there anything I haven't confessed to you? Would you reveal it? Like, think through it. This isn't a salvation this isn't salvation, this is, I gotta deal with, like, I gotta think through. Have I turned my back on Jesus? Or you're just living in sin and rebellion and I gotta ask you why? Maybe it's out of ignorance. But maybe you know what you're doing. Like I said, because God didn't come through the way that you thought he should have. So will you be honest with it? Give God a chance. Give him the rest of the weekend and see what he does. Can I pray for you? Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't pull punches with us. I thank you that you tell us the truth because you love us. That when the enemy says, did God really say that we could actually say, yeah, he did. Or no, he didn't. I thank you that according to your word, you tell us that if we, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray you'll do something you've never done before with this much weight. Holy Spirit, would you convict? Would you convict us and show us the weight of our sin? And for those of us that love you, would you help it? Would you help us Love the gospel even more. And for those that are just like, they don't want anything to do with you, God, would you use this as a time to at least get their attention to think through it and be honest with you? So God, thank you again for your truth. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth and not deceive. God, and give, I'll give you praise. We give you praise for everything that you'll do today and throughout the rest of our camp. God, to you be all the praise. All the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.